In today's episode, we're going to talk about is Giving Tuesday worth the hype? Here's a quick spoiler. Yes, of course it's worth the hype. You need to do it. You need to do something and you need to do it now. And we're going to talk about how and why next. Welcome to Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Open and frank discussion about supporting and growing the performing arts, such as instrumental, vocal, drama, dance, marching, and pageantry arts. All right, friends, welcome. Thank you for jumping into this episode 310, which we're going to dive into giving Tuesday. Is it worth the hype? What's it all about? How did it come to be? There's a lot of misconceptions around the topic. So we're going to jump in and talk a little bit historically what's happened uh, to this point and more importantly, how you can leverage Giving Tuesday in the best possible way for your performing organization, your arts organization. All right. So recording this, it is uh, Friday, November 22nd. Um, pretty historic day. Uh, this is the... Uh, anniversary of the assassination of, of Kennedy. Um, that's a little dark. I don't know if I want to start there, but you get the picture. Um, but we're a good chunk of the way through through November. We have Thanksgiving coming right around the corner. And uh, with that comes a great deal of seismic shift in the giving landscape in terms of charitable giving, uh, which we enter into this this time of the year called the giving season. Uh, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But but first, um, so it being, you know, toward the latter part of November, I got to think those of you that follow the podcast um, are probably all the way through with your marching band season, which is, that's got to be pretty, that's got to be feeling pretty cool to get all that time back, especially if you're a parent or a director, a booster, um, I, I know that there's definitely a collective sigh of, Oh my God, we we survived again, but it's an onslaught. Uh, those of you that aren't uh, a part of that marching band activity, your your schools either don't have an ensemble like that, or you're an orchestra or choir person, or you just do other other things: theater, drama, dance. Um, you know, the, you need to understand that 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 is a real grind. It starts early summer for most groups, and uh, just just plows forward like an unstoppable menacing force on the way to uh, early to mid-November. Now, if you've got an ensemble where you are uh, planning a bowl game or maybe you uh, lighten up rehearsals after your competitive season if you compete uh, and you just maybe play a homecoming game on Thanksgiving, then uh, hopefully the uh, the air has been let out of the balloon a little bit in terms of the pressure and, and stress. So uh, welcome back to your life. I hope it's good. Um, but we have indoor ensembles beginning. We've got indoor guard, indoor percussion, indoor winds. Um, we've got, we're about to uh, enter into the, uh, the DCI audition season. That's already started. Um, we've got uh, Drum Corps National organizations that are posting their, not posting their repertoire yet. It's mainly staff announcements. And it's looking at who's changed teams and who's the new caption head and who'd they hire. And um, of course, kids are, are going to, in some part, base their audition decisions off of who is teaching where and who is writing and designing where. Um, it's a thing. So uh, I remember when I was a kid and I marched, 
you know, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion where I was going to march. It was the hometown drum corps, um, <laughs> and for better or worse. And sometimes, you know, we had good years and more exciting years and other years were um, somewhat disappointing. Um, but I, I don't really remember obsessing too much about who caption heads and designers were. Um, right up until they fired my caption head and I decided to change drum cores because of it. So I guess I'm, maybe I am a product of that, that way of thinking in a little bit, but anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about giving Tuesday. Now my Philadelphia region patois, my dialect will sometimes, uh, I may slip in the uh, recording of this podcast and call it given Tuesday, you know, no G on the end of giving and uh, I will endeavor to not do that uh, because that's a little annoying. But anyway, you get the picture. Um, we just ran a webinar earlier this week, uh, one of our educational webinar series, in which we we dove into uh, what is Giving Tuesday. Basically, we uh, this podcast is going to represent a very boiled down, uh, you know, look at you know, what, uh, what we presented earlier this week on Wednesday. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and reference that. And, uh, you know what, in the podcast notes, I'll go ahead and, uh, and link, I'll link our deck. Yeah. And, uh, if you find that helpful or beneficial, shoot me a note, let me know, uh, let me know you saw it or used it. If you think it's great, you think it sucks, you know, Hey, whatever. Um, but let's take a look at specifically what is Giving Tuesday and like what what's it represent? So just as a, some background, uh, Giving Tuesday as a phenomena really came about in the year 2012. Um, it was really uh, conceived by the media website called Mashable. Mashable uh, is a, a, a technology website, but they do pop culture stuff. They do technology. They do... Um, you know, it's just kind of a mixed bag. It's kind of a great time suck during the day, but uh, time suck in the sense that you can really go down a rabbit hole and waste a lot of time. But by and large, I find I come away from that page with information I didn't know. So if you like to nerd out and know things, uh, Mashable is a pretty good place to, to hang out or at least check in once a day. Just follow it on Facebook and uh, you'll see it in your feed. But uh, Mashable really came up with this idea as a f philanthropic type of thing. Um, there were a couple other co-founding partners in the endeavor, uh, Mashable engaged with Skype and Cisco. And there were some other organizations that jumped in and kind of rode the coattails of it. And those uh, organizations included Microsoft and Sony, uh, the Case Foundation, which I believe is Steve Case from AOL, um, you know, a couple others. And um, Mashable covered Giving Tuesday almost like a news story. So it was almost generating, um, it was generating you know, charitable donations for important organizations. Um, but the fact that they were just able to draw some news coverage to it was really uh, gave it some legs. So, um, you know, CNET, HuffPost um, got, also got on it. Washington Post, uh, the White House covered it on their official blog. Um, so it, it was it, it was interesting because it was just this new thing. And it was um, Giving Tuesday follows some very important dates. So if you think about your calendar, Thursday, whatever Thursday Thanksgiving falls on, you have Thanksgiving Thursday, you've got Black Friday, you've got Small Business Saturday. I don't know if there's anything on Sunday, um, but Monday is uh, Cyber Monday uh, following Black Friday. 
and then um, I'm trying to think, is there something on Sunday? I don't think there is. Sorry. Right, so it's Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. We're not sure on Sunday. <laughs> and then Monday is Cyber Monday. And then Tuesday becomes Giving Tuesday. So that that's kind of the, um, the, the calendar progression for that. So go back to 2013. This is now year two of Giving Tuesday. Uh, there was a partnership with Google Plus, which was the old social network, kind of the rival to Facebook that Google tried to um, tried to do. So back in 2013, that was actually starting to become a little bit of a thing. Different organizations jumped onto it, but um, the thing really took off in a big way in 2016. So 2016, the amount of money that transacted. Um, was probably it started in 2012, but probably somewhere estimated in the in the realm of 15 million dollars transacting to charitable causes. In 2016, that number had is estimated to have been somewhere between about 170 to 180 million. Um, and what really propelled it is that Facebook got behind it along with the Gates Foundation. So there was this. Um, this is really where the confusion starts. So the Gates Foundation decided they were going to match up to $900,000. Um, I'm sorry, that's not correct. Um, in total, about $900,000 was matched. But um, Gates Foundation announced that they were going to match to a certain extent. And then Facebook announced they were going to match. But what they essentially did was waive their um, on-platform transaction fees, um, which they've basically ended up doing anyway. Um, but they were able to extract some commercial social value out of the act of waiving these fees, which they kind of positioned as a donation. I guess I get it. But um, but anyway, uh, the total giving was somewhere in the 170 to 180 million. Uh, 2017, that jumped way up uh, to somewhere in the neighborhood of 274 million. Um, again, 45 million uh, was moved through Facebook alone. Uh, and there was about a $2 million match between Facebook and the Gates Foundation. And then last year, the estimates had almost doubled to about $400 million. So um, this is a big thing. And again, this concept of matching is really where um, you got to be careful uh, in the way that you may position this to your ensembles, your organizations, because the match... Um, I, I think donors, especially a lot of the donors that I've talked to, and I, I've, I've researched this pretty deeply on, on site at Facebook as well as through some other channels. And there is a prevailing notion that every donation that's processed on Giving Tuesday in some way, shape, or form becomes matched. And that's simply not the case, unless you arrange for it, unless you've got some sort of an angel donor that says, hey, I'll match everything up to $5,000 that comes in. Um, that would be something that you could rig up. Uh, it's a great idea if you can find some donors, some some cornerstone donors to be able to do that. But, you know, it's important that uh, all campaigns that run through Giving Tuesday be transparent, be upfront, uh, and be very, very clear. Um, you know, to be honest, the match last year um, was, let me take a look. The, the match limits on Facebook were achieved within minutes, like four minutes past midnight. Uh, and it was four minutes past midnight somewhere over by the international dateline. So the, in North American dollars that were matched were uh, pretty nominal. And 
I, I think that the perception becomes inaccurate in terms of there's matching funds. Oh, my donation must have been matched. And that's okay if it doesn't bother you. But um, there are going to be some donors that really obsess about, was it matched? And there are, running campaigns on Facebook can be dubious anyway. Uh, and some of the reasons for that uh, is that Facebook becomes so large and broad and if you're going to try to push a campaign and really propagate a campaign on Facebook as a community, and you're going to try to do it on Giving Tuesday, it is really difficult to stand out of, you know, the crowd. And how do you get your signal through all of that static? And unless your organization has a very well-defined Facebook following, uh, and I would actually say that it needs to be a group. I don't even think that it can be followers or fans or likes to your page because of the algorithms in Facebook, um, you know, the way that everyone's use, every user's newsfeed, the way it's independently generated is through a set of logic equations called algorithms and things like sponsored posts and uh, to a certain extent, videos tend to rank up, meaning that you see more of that stuff and you see sponsored stuff because people have paid for you to see it. So if you match a certain set of audience selects, you're likely to see that in your feed. But for the most part, if you run a page and you're gonna push your campaign out to your constituency, uh, I've seen statistics as, you know, the highest I've seen is about 14%, the lowest I've seen is about 4%. So somewhere between four and 14%, uh, maybe like average it, like high single digit number percentage is gonna actually see the stuff that you post. And that's not a very good uh, percentage in my opinion, in the opinion of a lot of people that do this for a living. So, you know, yes, running a campaign on Facebook sounds good. It's free. And that no fee, um, especially if you have a board of directors or if you have a like a band booster board or something, like you might be looking at, hey, it's free. We, we should run it there. Well, you know, we'll use FansRaise for an example. So our platform is 15% plus a transaction cost of uh, 2.9% plus 30 cents a transaction. So it's about 3%. It's pretty much the same transaction cost that everyone charges to take a credit card online. Um, if you raise $3,000 on Facebook, you would yield $3,000, I would assume, if they're not charging you fees. If you raise $5,000 on FansRaise, and you'll probably raise more with FansRaise if you do it properly, you're going to net an extra 37%. Uh, on fans raise over a free service such as Facebook. Um, and I think the biggest limitation becomes accountability. So if you have your performing members of your ensemble, if you have your followers, your, your groupies, your fans, and you ask them to share the page, you cannot measure, measure or monitor how they're engaging. Do they engage? Do they just sort of like nod their head and say, oh, okay, I'll do that. And they never get around to it. Like it's very, very difficult to keep everyone honest and keep, keep the thing really moving forward with momentum. So the biggest limitation of running campaigns on Facebook or even GoFundMe is that accountability measure. There's no way to measure what your constituency is doing. Are they supporting the campaign? Are they bought in? And when we can measure things, we can improve them. We can manage to those metrics and make a campaign a lot better, which is why our campaigns generally tend to blow away the, the free service ones. It's not hard to fathom. So um, all in all, I mean, it's an impressive amount of money, but you have to realize that this is also global 
And you also have to realize that in the aggregate, a lot of these campaigns that are running are, are generating virtually no money um, or may, you know, maybe enough to help a little. And some money is better than no money. I will always say that. So um, my, my first and foremost uh, concern is that, A, you do something for this giving season. And there's a couple of key reasons why. Um, we, we've already covered this with some donor psychology content that we've generated and, and also in a previous podcast that the majority of charitable giving by individuals happens between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, emotionally, it's just a much more giving time of the year. Everyone is give, give, give. You're inundated with it. So it's at the forefront of your mind. The second thing is just, you know, let's flat out admit it, it's tax deductibility. So if they're giving to some sort of tax exempt um, organization, a nonprofit, a, you know, a school uh, educational institution, they're gonna be able to write that off in most cases. So you need to do something in this period of time. And if it is just hanging a quick, easy, setting up a quick and dirty campaign uh, on Facebook, then go do that. But I would recommend, you know, it probably takes about three days to get your campaign moving using your student members as a, as a you know, rocket fuel for the campaign, if you will. Um, we've talked about launches, we've talked about what to do right before a campaign, but you know, consider that this, is, this year, December 3rd is Giving Tuesday. So you've got between now and December 2nd to really line your campaign up, which is plenty of time. Um, I would actually uh, recommend you know, sometimes this this being recorded on November 22nd, you know, in, in six days, we've got Thanksgiving and you've got your kids or your students probably going home for Thanksgiving if they're in college or they're, um, you know, you're seeing far flung family you don't generally run into like Thanksgiving, Christmas. Those are two occasions of the year where your constituents are going to be rubbing elbows with potential donors a couple times in a couple months. So having a campaign running uh, is really important. So I would highly recommend you give this a really close look um, and, and, and do something. Um, you certainly could set something up quickly with fans raise, push it out to your students, get them adding contacts. You really only need to give them somewhere between three and five days um, you want to give them a little time to gather contacts and, and line up their own individual donor lists, their, their contact lists. Um, and then we begin to push messaging on Giving uh, Tuesday uh, to those donors. And then we'll continue to do that through the end of the calendar year. So there's a call. Actually, that brings up a great point. So there are actually two ways that you can use Giving Tuesday. Number one, you could use it as a single day event. Now, the advantage to doing that is that you get in and out of it in 24 hours. So you, you can hit it hard for one day, get everyone's focus on it, and then you move on to different things and just do your holiday season. Um, the disadvantage to doing that, there's two. One, it's very hard to coordinate and align resources for a single day thing uh, because you're always going to have families and kids that are late. You're always going to have kids jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, um, a little bit behind the, the rest of the group. It's just natural. So limiting things to a single day event may actually um, eliminate that or suppress it, but um, you do run the risk of missing out some opportunities. 
the other option, the other way you could use Giving Tuesday is actually run the, start your campaign and launch it on Giving Tuesday, but then take it through the giving season. So Giving Tuesday, you get to cash in on all of that, that frenzy, all of that um, craziness on that on Tuesday, December 3rd. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, 11 months, 12 months from now, you're wondering why I'm saying December 3rd. It's because December 3rd, 2019 is the, that Tuesday. Uh, so it's whatever the Tuesday is after Thanksgiving. Um, the disadvantage to doing that is you need to sustain it a little bit more and you need to do a little bit more uh, pre-planning perhaps, but you get to really ride the, the wave of giving all the way through the end of the calendar year. And, you know, you would be shocked. You would be astounded how many donations will come in on the 31st of the year. Uh, it just, it, last year, my jaw dropped. I mean, it was like almost every campaign, even campaigns that had been down for uh, at least 40, you know, f- you know, 30 to 45 days, campaigns that had wrapped in, earlier in the fall, um, people would, were going into emails, digging out old links and hitting donation pages and just dropping money into campaigns. So um, that is, that's a real thing. And I think that tax deductibility is something um, it would be important to not disregard that. Um, so otherwise, you know, we would approach a Giving Tuesday campaign slightly differently uh, in that we would recommend that your participants manually reach out the day before Giving Tuesday. So on that Cyber Monday, um, just shoot a text, a quick phone call, um, you know, a quick direct message on Facebook, whatever it may be. Say, hey, check your email. You're going to get an email invitation uh, from me in regards to the special online event we're running for Giving Tuesday. Please take a look. Um, we'd send out supporter requests early in the morning. We'd probably do a campaign update around noontime and then another one probably later evening. Uh, and then we would send a wrap up, uh, recap email the next day. So we can manually, uh, make those accommodations within our platform to, to basically customize your own giving Tuesday campaign for you. Um, that's a little bit of a different approach than we, we usually don't email more than once every three to five days. Um, but in this case, I think it's, it's needed for a single day event like that. So, um, a couple best practices about this approach about giving Tuesday. The first is you cannot just rely on social media. It is a bad idea. Okay. It's a horrible idea because of what I mentioned before, like Facebook is going to be a wasteland of nothing but solicitation, donation requests, uh, posts, shares. You're going to see all kinds of stuff and you want to get around that and you want to get to people's inboxes. And that's what our platform is designed to do. You need to use your program members, your students and their families as a way to catapult the campaign. Uh, You know, you need to really consider ways to do that. And again, I think the FansRaise platform is the best method you could use for that. Um, Keep in mind, again, this is uh, territory we covered within our our, uh, donor psychology uh, webinar. You really need to keep your ask personal. Um, We sometimes see campaign pages that are very organization-centric. And they really don't talk about the type of kids or students that are involved. Um, there are no pictures of the kids. It's just a logo. And you need to keep in mind that people primarily are going to be motivated and inspired to give to 
people more than they are to organizations or necessarily causes. So if you give to, to cancer research, you're not giving to cancer research. You're giving, you're probably making a donation on behalf of somebody that's gone through that process. Um, you know, not just for the sake of cancer research deserves it. Now, does it happen? I'm sure it does. But the vast majority of people are going to be more touched by people they know uh, and love that have gone through that terrible journey. So, um, and lastly, I'd recommend make this thing a team effort. It is so important. It is so um, vital that your constituents are on the same page. You're setting some clear expectations and you're measuring against those expectations. So um, in a single day event, you really don't have a whole lot of time to course correct. But if you're going to run a campaign over like a four to six week period, you definitely have time. And that's really where the platform, the ability to visualize who's getting it done, who's not, uh, is a big deal. All right. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye now. Um, this podcast was one of our longer ones. And uh, I'd recommend you check back. Um, pop on some other episodes. Um, shoot us a message. Let, let us know what you think. Uh, any ideas for our episodes, any, anyone, I, I would like to get back to some of the interview format. Uh, it's just so hard to coordinate all of our, our friends and educators and partners and stuff that I'd love to have on. Everyone's just so busy. Uh, so I am going to endeavor to try to do some of that, but, um, you know, any topics you'd like us to cover, I'm all ears, always looking for things to, uh, bring to the table to help make your lives and your organizations run a little less stressful.